want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, full hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sights TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, once again, I feel like I've just been answering for you how you're doing. I'm not going to ask how you're doing because I can see you. And you're not looking too hot right now. <laughs> it, it hasn't been. I feel like I've been working really hard on the on the optimism front and like... Sometimes you just can't do it anymore, and that's where that's where I'm at this week. I'm going to try to not let it affect my TV watching, but just it wasn't. I had I had a really. I'll give you a perfect example. I had a terrible dream a couple mornings ago that it was that you ever have a dream that's so bad that it makes you just wake up. Yeah, because you're like oh, oh and it, you just feel kind of kind of sick to your stomach. And then I literally did feel sick when I woke up and I've had a sore throat ever since I had that dream. What, what even is that? <laughs> I think what that is for our listeners benefit, uh, Simon doesn't get sick. He like doesn't get colds and seasonal things. Uh, so apparently when they, when he does get sick, when you do get sick, Simon, you die is all I can gather. Cause yeah, I'm not prepared. Yeah. I get sick way too frequently. Uh, which means I'm just, I, maybe I'm just, my body's more attuned to, to battling off, you know, the pathogens or whatever it is. Uh, cause yeah, well, you'll, we'll, we'll try to keep this on the shorter side. Hopefully it won't be a marathon session for the listeners this week. There is plenty to talk about. Uh, there is lots of, uh, interesting TV happening, but we're gonna, you know, there's, there's a, a the, the episodes, the dramas didn't give us quite as much to really sink our teeth teeth into this week as they have in the past. So I think that'll help things out. We should mention here uh, up at the top that, of course, at the end of the podcast, we'll be talking with Latoya Ferguson from the AV Club and the Televoid about Life as We Know It, which is a one season show from, oh, goodness, ABC in 2004. I want to say it's ABC. I'm going to go with that. If we're wrong, sorry, those people. Yeah, those people. They canceled the show anyways after, you know, uh, uh, 13 episodes. So I don't think they really care if we remember that they made it. Of which they aired, what, 11, 10? Yeah, something like that. But that was a really fun show to discover and, and talk about. And that's so that'll be coming at the end of the podcast. I also wanted to mention up here at the top just uh, a, a quiet, you know, tip of the hat to Jan Hooks, who passed away recently. I really enjoyed watching her on SNL. Her era of SNL is one of the first that I really was exposed to in re runs and um i really have a fun place in my heart for her work on that show and uh it's been nice to read some of the different tributes that have been been coming up uh, or been going up at different uh, sites and on different podcasts so i just wanted to mention that at the top of the show here um a few comments from you guys we heard from sean and augustine at the website about the question of the week which was uh shows that represent the greatest waste of talent so we got some good choices here from our, our listeners. So Sean says, I'm going recent. How do you have Ben McKenzie and Donald Logue as your lead detectives and be totally underwhelming? Forget the show overall. Those performances really need to be sharper because both of those actors are real talents. And 
uh, also, since I'm sticking through to the end of Sons of Anarchy, can we say that entire cast qualifies for this answer? What do you think? Well, certainly, uh, Katie Seagal, I think, has been tremendous for the entire run of that show, even when what they've given that character to do has been silly or regrettable. And actually, I feel like everyone in, the, in, that, in that cast is really charismatic with one obvious, glaring, central example. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Okay, and then Augustine says that's an easy question of the week. Every single incarnation of CSI, all that talent minus David Caruso for nothing. <laughs> Augustine also says, by the way, you have to get more Bradley Cooper related stuff on the uh, onto the podcast. Harry, the absolute disgust coming from Simon's voice as he was forced to talk about him truly made my day. Uh, so I think that that's what that's telling me is that we're going to have to do Kitchen Confidential at some point. I feel like I made clear that I don't hate Bradley Cooper. I, there are very few <laughs> actors I hate. I, in fact, I have a long-standing theory that there really is no such thing as a bad actor in general, with maybe a couple of exceptions. You don't get to a point in, in your career where you're visible to other people as an actor unless you're really good. Usually there's just really poor casting or poor career crafting on the part of agents or Hollywood in general. But, you know, obviously there are exceptions. I don't think Bradley Cooper is one of them, but I do think that there, there, mistakes were made. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and Mario said uh, he was excited for hostages, but he quit halfway through. Though he loves Tony Collette, uh, that that also came up in relation to uh, Dylan McDermott uh, with, of course, Stalker. Uh, so Dylan McDermott apparently has another stinker on his hands. Oh, uh, oh, Stalker. Uh, there was more talk on Twitter, uh, but we're, we're going to leave it there for this week because we do want to try to take it a little easier on Simon here and get into the podcast this week. So uh, with that being said, uh, at Sound on Sight this week, we have, uh, of course, 31 Days of Horror is continuing with new articles going up every every day um, in all the different sections. Uh, the Walking Dead is back, and so the Walking Dead podcast is back. This week we talked with Les Chapel of uh, the AV Club and Sound on Sight uh, about Yay. the premiere, which was so much fun. Uh, also, Leftovers Departure Day is coming up, and so there's going to be some Leftovers talk happening. Yeah, I'm writing a column in which The Leftovers plays a central role, and it's due to be published. I'm not done writing it yet, I'm going to be honest, but I'm, it's due to be published on Departure Day, which is tomorrow. So. As we record. <laughs> Yeah, so it'll it'll be up there at some point. I can't promise it'll be there smack dab for the middle of Departure Day, but it'll be there before midnight Eastern on Departure Day. I can promise that. There's plenty more going on at Sound On Site, uh, but for now, let's take a break, and we'll come back and talk a little reality and comedy. Feeling good on Wednesday.
this week in reality, I'm going to talk a little of The Amazing Race and as well as, uh, of course, the finale of Top Chef Duels. And then we'll talk comedy, Key and Peel, Georgina and Esther and Satan. Uh, then, Simon, you're going to talk uh, Selfie and Manhattan Love Story as well as some South Park. And then we'll both dive in with Jaden the Virgin, um, which had its pilot this week. First up, reality. I just wanted to kind of mention Amazing Race because I've been following the, the show this season so far. It's only been a few episodes. They've done a good job this year. The casting is pretty good. Uh, I'm, I'm surprisingly engaged by most of the teams at this point. Some of the more um, stereotypical, I guess, casting people got uh, got knocked out right away. So that was encouraging. And um, just, you know, they have some engaging people. And then also just the challenges have been fun. So this, you know, they went to the Shetland Islands this time and they had to carve peat out of the earth and and transport it with a Shetland pony. Or they had to make fire, uh, make a Viking torch. You know, that, that's just fun to watch. So they, they've done a good job with the challenges and with the casting this season. That's really what um, The Amazing Race comes down to. So I look forward to catching up or to, to keeping track with the rest of the season this year. Um, and I wanted to give them some props. Also props to Top Chef Duels, which uh, finished up its season. I was surprisingly engaged. I didn't expect to, to really make time for it, but I found myself, you know, when I had a few spare minutes, just kind of being vaguely curious. So I, I checked in with that and did finish the season. I thought the finale worked pretty well. I was happy to see CJ win. Um, I thought it was an interesting, you know, approach the way that they did it. And uh, I would be, I guess I would be up for more Top Chef duels, which I didn't expect to be saying early in the season when it really did feel very, uh, the, some of those early episodes didn't work for me, just the matchups or the challenges or something. But it did, I did appreciate it much more as it went along. Um, any thoughts on either of those two shows? Do you think you'll spend any time on either of them? Uh, not, not currently. There's just too much going on. Yeah, it's understandable. Top Chef, uh, I believe is starting its new season either this week or next week. So, uh, it's Boston. Um, the ads are calling it fresh meat. We'll see what happens with, uh, with the first few episodes there. But for now, let's go into our week in comedy. And I'm just going to mention Key and Peel. I really did. Again, I enjoy this episode. Georgina, Esther, and Satan was a fun sketch. Just the opening uh, thing with the $5 and the five kids was delightful. So um, not their strongest episode of the season. So I, I, I look forward to your thoughts, Simon, once you have a chance to catch up with it. But again, I, I, I am very much enjoying the, the season as a whole. And there was some good stuff this week, too. Um, Simon, what did you think of Selfie and Manhattan Love Story? You watched, uh, I watched the pilots of these. You didn't watch those. You watched episode two of each? Yeah. Um, oh, boy. I feel like those shows were so emblematic of what's wrong with the, at least from what I've heard and from the amount I've seen. I feel like they're so emblematic of what's wrong with the network comedy pilots this season. First of all, I didn't know those were second episodes until you told me that they were, because I assumed they were both just really awkward pilots because they feel like awkward pilots. They, they, I mean, and that's true of a lot of second episodes of a lot of shows, not just, not just comedies. Usually a lot of, a lot of network and non-network shows end up spending their, a lot of their second episode recapitulating the plot because that's how TV production works a lot of the time. It's annoying, but it's, but it's, that's how it goes. Uh, that bothered me less than the fact that these weren't funny and were not charming. And you're talking about series starring some really, really charming people you know john cho and karen gillen that should be a show that i want to watch and you've somehow made her so like almost it's always sunny level of misanthropy unlikable um 
and not even necessarily deliberately, just the way that she's been written is just like, uh, I, I have no idea what they're trying to go for in terms of any level of audience identification there. Maybe I'm just too old. Who knows? But it wasn't funny. Uh, Manhattan Love Story. I think Annalie Tipton is great. Uh, I've been enjoying her in various films for a long time. I never even knew until recently that she used to be a, a top model contestant. It makes sense. But uh, I think, which maybe is still how most people think of her. I have no idea. But I think she's actually a really great comedian and actress. And again, here, just not an interesting character. Not as viscerally irritating and hateful as Karen Gillan's selfie character, but still not what I'd want to see her be doing. And so not an interesting central romance to pin a whole sitcom around. And as you've said, and bears repeating as often as possible, the voiceover on both of these shows and so many others needs to die. It's it's really bad <laughs> on these two, at least in the pilot for these two. And Oh, here too. Yeah, in the second. Okay. Doesn't get better then. Noted. No. <laughs> um, yeah. The... I, I had no idea, by the way, about Annalie Tipton. That's I would have not guessed or known because I only know her from a couple other things. But like you say, she's so likable, and yet she's saddled with this show and this character. Uh, and I think the you easily Karen Gillan can be that likable easily. She's incredibly winning uh, just to her personality. She's very charming when you watch her in things. But uh, they're actively trying to not make you know they're working against her charm, which seems like an odd choice. Yeah, anyone who wants to see Karen Gillan be really, really funny, watch the last season of NTSF SDSUV, which actually weirdly presages this sitcom with the whole American accent thing, which that, that watch a two minute clip of her doing that and there's way more laughs than there is in this whole episode, or watch the recent season of A Touch of Cloth, uh, which is only two episodes long and is hilarious. She's in that one as well? Just this last season, yeah, or series. I was already needing to hunt it out just for the John Hanna of it, as well as, you know, it sort of being a parody of all these, like, Happy Valley, Broadchurch, you know, uh, Southcliff, all of these kinds of shows. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm going to have to hunt that out even more. Uh, I will also mention here that Marry Me is starting up this week, and that's the new show um, from uh, David Caspi, which is starring Casey Wilson and Ken Marino. The pilot is not good. Uh, it's really, it's not good. Um, it does, it doesn't have voiceover, though. Oh, that's good. But here's the thing. Uh, Ken Marino is great. Casey Wilson is great. They're both, they both tend to be very broad performers, or or they can be. Um, they can certainly both be hams. And uh, they also both work best when they are counterpointed with something else that is you know, detracting from that or playing with it and, and making it work. So Camerino on Children's Hospital, that is the perfect setting for that kind of a performance. Um, Casey Wilson on Happy Endings, she's only one of a larger ensemble. Here, there is nothing telling, there's no one telling either of them to play it smaller. Um, Ken Marino his, doesn't get really anything to do in this pilot. Um, and so it's just a lot of Casey Wilson being very broad and very big, uh, with, with just, it's, it's a kind of screechy role for her in much of the beginning of the pilot. Um, and that's they're they back away from that. And again, these are both very talented performers, but he doesn't get anything to do, almost nothing funny to do. And, uh, and he's just wasted kind of playing straight man to her antics and just the, 
the writing is not good enough. The, they don't have a sense of the characters that, that is interesting enough for this to be a good pilot. However, I loved Happy Endings. I, lo- I, I like these performers very much. I love these performers, I should say. And so I'm hopeful that it'll become something. But uh, don't go into this one with hopes, with high hopes. Just don't go into this with hopes. Uh, go into, <laughs> like, the not the pilot, at least. The series, I have hopes for the series, but it's not there yet. I would like it to be sooner rather than later, but if they even find it by episode five, episode six, episode ten, I'll be I will be happy and I will tune in then. Yeah, let's not forget that the happy endings pilot is not good. Not good. At all. Yeah. So these are talented people. Hopefully they will come together because there's no reason that a Ken Marino uh, show shouldn't be hilarious or a Casey Wilson show shouldn't be hilarious or a David Caspi show shouldn't be hilarious. Hopefully chocolate in my peanut butter and all that being a good thing and not just too much over the top. But uh, let's talk about another episode that you saw that I did not. And that's South Park. Uh, I really feel that like I have to hunt this down, though. Tell us a little bit about what happened on Sissy. Okay. Well, first of all, I should specify that the the, the reason that I I made a point to watch this episode was because I follow a lot of music critics on Twitter, and I heard that the episode was sparked almost entirely by a tiny article that appeared in Spin about Lord. Uh, And so, and the South Park people kind of spun that, like a a little joke that had about Lord in a previous episode that happened to get written up in Spin into an entire episode that sort of subtly, that had this subplot featuring a Spin magazine uh, investigator, which is hilarious if you know about the downsizing that's happened at Spin and other music magazines lately. And just that that idea in and of itself is sort of why I, I continue to find South Park endearing, the fact that they can take something that's happened so recently and is so insignificant and spin it out into a whole episode that will hopefully still be watchable in five years, and I think probably will be. Uh, that's kind of fantastic. Uh, that being said, the I did not know that until the episode started and I sort of got this sinking feeling in my stomach that, oh, this is going to be South Park doing transgender issues, which... I, I was just watching with my teeth on edge for a solid six or seven minutes of, I don't know how they're going to handle this. And I feel like the South Park of a certain era would have really mishandled this. However, I was pleasantly surprised. And the it, it's the most messagey episode of South Park. I can remember hearing, uh, watching in a long time. It actually feels like it has a moral at the end. The moral being, you should respect other people and what's going on in their inner lives and not be an asshole. And... It was like a come to Jesus moment. It, it it was fantastic. And is that the definition of a come to Jesus moment? I'm not sure if I used that right. I think it works. You think it works? Think anyway, it works. Uh, it's it, it reminded me of uh, of when they did the the Mormonism episode. The, the the point of that episode winding up not being let's make fun of Mormons, but how about don't be a dick to other people because <laughs> your beliefs are probably silly too. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, I was I was pleasantly surprised with the episode. The Lord stuff also was hilarious, especially the music creation stuff. Uh, almost everything to me about the episode worked. Okay, this will have to be one that I seek out. Then I I have no idea what this Lord stuff is, so I will have to to you know I'll have to watch the episode and find out because that sounds pretty uh, yes, entertaining. <laughs> Lord's real life response to appearing in this episode was also quite quite endearing. Let's move on to Jane the Virgin. Uh, I wrote up the pilot for the AV Club. You can find my uh, my thoughts over there. Uh, but I really, I, this was my favorite pilot of the fall season. Um, certainly my favorite network pilot. I really was impressed with this 
uh, episode, and I am impressed with the show. I I just it, from its opening in- introduction, this is one. Yes, it has voiceover. So many shows have voiceover. I actually enjoyed the voiceover here. This show shouldn't work, um, but for me, it it really does. And uh, I just I can't wait to hear what you thought, Simon, because. I'm a I'm a sucker for the optimism stuff. So, cheery, bouncy, happy, um, good people dealing with a tough situation. That's in my wheelhouse. What What did you think about this? Uh, I think it's certainly uh, a very likable pilot on its own. I think that the if I had to associate it with a specific tone, I wouldn't go to what I've seen or understand about telenovelas. I would actually go to early Brian Fuller. Um especially the narration gives it a a really wonderfulsy vibe uh which i think the biggest failing of the show for me right now is that it's not as funny as i would like it to be it's certainly very charming the the ensemble is very endearing uh but maybe because this episode has so much setting up to do in just 40 minutes it doesn't have time to really uh, get into uh the laughs as much as i would like to and i'm not sure how much it even will uh, I guess my my ideal version of the show is funny, and I feel like if if it tries to lean too hard on the feels, it's not going to work for me. If that makes any sense. Uh, one thing I wanted to comment on is I was reading a, a blog post where people were talking about um, the prospect of watching this show, and when they understand the basic, the most basic aspects of the premise, a lot of people tend to get really creeped out. Um, just the whole, you know, it, especially the the it the insemination aspect, the, un- the, shall, shall we say unwilling ins- insemination? Yes. Accidental insemination. Accidental insemination. Um, a lot of people are really skeeved out at that idea being sort of central to this bouncy, um, optimistic quasi comedic show. And I get that, but I think that when you watch the show, it's really not a problem. Yeah. The, the little bit of comments I was seeing at the AV club, um, there was a lot of of reaction in one of two camps. One being, this is uh, it's so I could never watch this show because that's just ridiculous. And the other, um, just being a similar kind of thing. Oh, that's what this show is about. Why? Who would ever watch this? Now, you know, so some people saying I couldn't watch it because it's unbelievable and that's just a non-starter for me. And another camp of people saying uh, I couldn't watch it because it's just stupid. Um, and so that just that unwillingness to to watch a show that has been one of the more critically praised, I would say, universally critically praised of the new fall shows, just um, that seems very odd to me. Um, there's a lot of us saying that this is a good show, so maybe give it a shot. But I guess if you're not willing to suspend even the slightest disbelief, I mean, if you watch this pilot, you're going to either you know if you watch this episode either it does its job or it doesn't and i think it does its job really well the way that they set up her accidental insemination like the fact that that the doctor says are you ready for your insemination and she doesn't realize that the patient is asleep behind the thing and then just wakes up right after she says that just that just goes such a long way into you know, making it more understandable that this happens from the doctor's perspective as well as from the patient's perspective. I mean, there's 
obviously it's a it's a TV show. It's a it's a very heightened show. They set up the world very well with that opening narration, um, really taking it to that telenovela or just like you said, Brian Fullery heightened kind of place. But the people's unwillingness to just even give the show a shot, from what I'm seeing at least, is very odd to me. Uh, another thing that I, I, I need to address because I think it's a common misconception about the show is that Jane is not a kid. Can we, no. can we get that out of the way? A lot of people seem to think so. I think partially because we're so conditioned to see actors who are in their mid twenties playing teenagers. You know, Jane is is a, a, a an, you know played by an actress presumably in her mid twenties, and the character is twenty three, and that's really really important. Yeah. It really is the the promos the not the promos but the ads you know that they've been putting out there uh, make her look younger as well. Plus, it's on the CW, so people just immediately assume teen show. Um, but you know what I really liked about the show, the descriptor you you use that I would say is the best descriptor for this show is charming. This is a very charming show, and um, it, and it's just so refreshing for me to watch a show where the everybody in it, the majority of the characters, are just good people jane is nice that is an accurate and not damning descriptor for her and it's wonderful to watch a show about a nice person i agree with that but i one of my misgivings is that so many of the characters are so nice that it makes it more jarring when they decide to make one or two characters sort of almost cartoonishly fiendish uh, I I don't I almost don't want to say which characters I'm thinking of because people will not watch this pilot yet, but that to me was sort of a weakness was the willing to sort of throw certain characters under the bus in the service of all the uh, of the rest of the show's niceness. Yeah, um, I think it'll be because they they're not also not willing to go full like maniacal cackling villain with it either. Um, at least not yet. Maybe they will. That I that's that heightened element is something that you kind of expect from a show adopting this kind of tone. Um, so when they do try to humanize those characters to some extent, that makes it, you know, you kind of want them to commit to one approach or the other. However, um, for me, the show really does come down to those three central. I mean, I know for a lot of people, it'll be about the love triangle and, and wrath and all of that. But for me, it really is about Jane and her mother and her grandmother. And I thought those three performances worked very well. And I love the amount of nuance that they give to those characters. Yeah, I think the, the actual, the, the principal family, I think is really well handled. I guess for me, like, I, I agree with you that it's, it's a charming pilot that does a lot of things right and is trying a lot of things that other shows wouldn't dream of attempting. And I want to give it a lot of credit uh, there. I'm not sure that I know what the show is going to be like going forward. Like I said, my preferred version would be the funnier version as opposed to the sort of more CWE soapy version, which I feel like could wind up being what it is if it doesn't keep up the, uh, the self-awareness, which is by far the best, uh, to me, the, the best aspect of this pilot. So I, I'm, I'm giving it a conditional yay, but I feel like there's a lot of ways they could fuck it up. Yeah, um, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, we have this under comedy mostly because we have very few comedies this week. Um, and I, I don't think it's trying to be a straight-up comedy. So I don't think they're going for laughs. I think they're looking much more in the dramedy realm where it's fun. It has this lighter tone, but it is very much also a drama. What other show would have that, you know, would have each of these different characters' voices uh, 
treated honestly and respectfully and, you know, really taken all the different perspectives on this situation that there are. Uh, and, and all those dramatic moments are, for me, some of the, the show's most successful. So I actually don't want it to just become a straight comedy, but... Um, I, you know, it really could become many different things if it wants to as it moves forward. So what version this show will end up being long term um, is certainly something to keep an eye out for. Yeah. I, can I just throw a question out there? Are we at just at the point now where saying abortion is no longer taboo? Because I feel like that wasn't true a couple of years ago. And maybe it's because in this episode, I don't notice anyone's actually saying abortion in English. I only noticed it showing up in the subtitles. But uh, on The Good Wife, abortion is all over that thing. Yeah. And I feel is... like, is that unusual or is that, are we just getting more comfortable with that? That's unusual, I think. I I, I think this the approach here where it's like, are you going to keep the baby? <laughs> is, is about what most of the characters say. They do say the word abortion, but it's one of those things, um, most shows still, you know, when Amber, for example, on Parenthood was pregnant, there was no never a, do we think she'll get an abortion? Because we knew she wouldn't, because that's not what happens on shows that are on, uh, you know, on a network TV. So, you know, The Good Wife, I think, is much more an exception to a rule. Just checking. The new rule. <laughs> Any final thoughts on Jane the Virgin? What about the voiceover? What did you think about that? The voiceover actually is one of the best parts. And I think, uh, again, when I talk about why I think the show should lean a little bit more on its comedy, everything is so heightened. There are so many plot elements being comically thrown at you that I feel like the show has no choice but to lean in as a comedy. Like, I'm not saying that the dramatic aspects can't work, especially as they relate to Jane, but everything is so heightened that if they try to lean too hard on pathos, to me, it's just not going to work. Fair enough. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I did too. And, um, I mean, just even little moments, Gina Rodriguez, we haven't really mentioned her. She's absolutely delightful. And as the lead, even just moments like her probably shouldn't drink that, you know, it's just like a, little line delivery but that's been in the back of my mind since i watched it because it's just you know again it's like, like we both said this is a very charming show and it's a very strong central performance from her that's my final yeah thought. definitely she's and that actually that was one of the things that made me think of wonderfalls was i was getting a a total uh a, t a total young carolyn devil vibe from from that performance well with that in mind what wins your week in comedy um i'm gonna give it to south park for handling uh, that material in a totally delightful way that I was not expecting. And I'm going to give it to Jane the Virgin for both comedy and reality. Um, it's certainly, it's one of my highlights of the fall and I hope more people will check it out. I don't know what the ratings are yet as we record this, but I do hope that more people, no matter how many people tuned in already, I hope more people will check it out. Um, but now let's take a break and come back with our week in genre. <laughs> Keep to 
This week in genre, I'm going to do a roundup of a bunch of different shows, and then uh, Simon and I will both talk a little bit about The Walking Dead premiere, American Horror Story Freak Show's premiere, and The Flash pilot. But first, uh, Gotham, The Supernatural premiere, S.H.I.E.L.D., The Arrow premiere, Sleepy Hollow, Go Where I Send Thee, and Doctor Who, Mummy on the Orient Express. Simon, what should I talk about first? If you're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I didn't really watch it. It just happened to be on while I was having dinner one evening, and I, I probably caught most of the first half. I do want to give them some points for the use of uh, God Help the Girl, the, uh, the the title song from Stuart Murdoch's musical, which means that I've watched a, a sequence from a Marvel Studios TV show that opens with a Bell and Sebastian song basically which that doesn't mean anything to you but like if if i could tell myself that from when i was in high school or something that would be a a very surreal moment that i'm not sure i'd believe (laughs) i liked that sequence i thought this episode was really good actually uh for shield and i i think it worked very well i like what i really like what they've been doing this season with simmons and also with fitz this is our first time seeing really seeing simmons this season um I, you know, it's nice to see Dylan Minette come back this week. Uh, I have a feeling we'll see him again, but uh, it was nice to see him pop up here. And uh, yeah, I they, they're doing much better in their second season than they did in their first season. So hopefully they'll continue to improve and uh, just really pick up steam. But it's been a fun show for me to catch up with, you know, on as I'm waiting for the heavier, heavier hitters to come throughout later in the week. Wanted to give them some praise. Also, a little bit of praise for Supernatural, which their premiere, uh, Black, handled the cliffhanger pretty well. And um, I like that they don't try to have any, pre- you know, pretense. There's no... Maybe, you know, Sam doesn't know what's going on with Dean. I really like the way they handle that. I also like that they they um, end on some level of a cliffhanger, but they really don't, um, uh, they don't feel the need to have it, to have it be standalones, which wouldn't make sense with what's going on with Sam and Dean. So a, a pretty strong premiere for Supernatural. Um, Arrow, The Calm. I think I'm finally on board for Arrow. I really like this episode. They go full on elicity in this, and uh, I like that that they just do that. They get that, you know. They they will probably have more of that throughout the season, but it really worked here. And I liked that they're just like, okay, yeah, we get it. Everybody who watches this show is an elicity shipper. Let's have the characters stop pretending that this is not a significant thing on the show and deal with it. Um, they managed to make Brandon Routh really fun and charming and likable here. I didn't know that that was a thing that shows that genre shows knew how to do. Cause of course he's been hilarious in other things. He's great in, um, Zach and Mary make a porno when he shows up. He's so much fun. Um, when he showed up on, in, um, uh, Scott Pilgrim. And so it's nice to see that side of him, you know, really work in this Arrow premiere. Uh, any thoughts on Brandon Routh? Uh, I would agree that he's really, really great in Scott Pilgrim and has not been really, really great in a lot of TV. So fingers crossed that they'll keep that, uh, you know, lighter, more comedic side to him going. Um, and, <laughs> you know, maybe they didn't use him very well on Chuck. I'm hoping that they can use him better here on Arrow. Let's see. What else do we have? Um, Sleepy Hollow, Go Where I Send Thee. So I thought this was a really fun episode of the Pied Piper thing. The main thing I want to mention, um, I really actually like most of what they're doing this season so far introducing blatant gonna be a love interest character though holly i think his name is holly um 
that character is really not working and the performance isn't working for me at all. Nothing about that character is working. It just screams, let's set up a future love interest. Um, but the two don't have any chemistry uh, in their moments together at all. So uh, it's just not, it's not good. I'm really hoping something changes with that soon because I don't know why they thought this would work in that context. I'm not seeing it. You know, if they're if they're trying to do something so far, I'm not seeing it at all. Um, and it's not even in- an interesting character. So it just feels very much like a uh, that feels like a that's that feels like a rookie move. That feels like, you know, the, the love interest they had for Abby in season one that they wisely realized was not working and wrote out. Um, this feels like that just Mark two. So I'm hoping that something changes with that soon. Um, any thoughts on Sleepy Hollow? Uh, no, I haven't really been watching it. I feel like uh, at this point, I know what to expect from Sleepy Hollow and I don't need to, and it's not, it's never going to be the sort of thing that I need to watch, which we're going to get into things like that soon. Yeah. Um, let me see. Uh, just the last couple things, Doctor Who, my review is not yet up. Hopefully by the time you guys are hearing this, it is, um, but it was a very, I was out of town all week, so it's been, um, I've been trying to catch things up and that one has not quite happened yet. Mummy and the Orient Express looked really cool. Uh, I, re- I like the period touches. The the CGI train in space really didn't work. But the mummy was good. And, um, you know, Tom and Lorenzo wrote up this episode at their site. And they talked about um, what they feel the show is doing right now, which is really presenting Clara as a TARDIS addict. And uh, if that's what the show is doing, that's very interesting and uh it's a bold way to go and uh i hope they stick the landing <laughs> if that's what they're doing um if that's not what they're doing then is this it's really frustrating because um watching a character make destructive decisions or or undermine herself continually um is and stay in a destructive relationship is not a fun thing to watch uh so i just got to hope that it's going somewhere. If I had any faith in Moffat, if I had a better, if I had more trust in Moffat, uh, that would be easier to do. But right now I don't, um, I really haven't for several years. And so that makes it harder to, to, to really invest in, but at least Missy doesn't show up and it look, everything look, looked really pretty. And, uh, Jenna Coleman was rocking the crap out of her awesome outfit and ridiculously cute short haircut. Um, so, you know, jelly babies in a cigarette case. How do you not love that? There's a lot of little details to like here, even if, um, it's maybe not the most fun end of episode. And then the last thing I'll say here is Gotham, the balloon man. This is the episode from last week. And it was, it was terrible. This is like spotlight of shame bad. It's not offensive. It's just so poorly written that, uh, I mean, damn, Gotham, damn. You're finally seeing the show that I was watching. <laughs> See, uh, this, I, I think this is just so much worse than the pilot was. What they're doing with uh, Jim and with Harvey, when they have them like pull each other off to the side so they can recap everything that's happened in the last three episodes. It's like, guys, it's only been three episodes and you really haven't done that much. You don't need to recap for us. Uh, it's just, it was bad writing the balloon stuff was was fine you know i'm surprised that catwoman and bat and baby batman are some of the less frustrating elements of this show for me um i would not have guessed that based on the pilot i certainly would not have guessed that based on the cast list 
but they need to get better writing stat. Then again, the show did did just get picked up for another six episodes, so they're going to have a full 22 episodes this season. So clearly, uh, you know, I'm not the one making the decisions on this. I don't think they care if I like the show, but uh, damn, that's all I got to say about Gotham. (laughs) I just feel a little bit vindicated is all I have to say. Well, let's move on uh, to the shows you've seen. Tell us a little bit about uh, The Walking Dead premiere. Of course, my thoughts, you guys can hear that on The Walking Dead podcast. I'm going to pretty much stay out of this. But, Simon, you actually watched The Walking Dead. I I do that from time to time. I just don't. Here's the thing about The Walking Dead. I think that Scott M. Gimple is probably the best showrunner they've had. I think that the show as it is now is probably the ideal version of The Walking Dead. That being said, I don't think it's ever going to be appointment television for me. I think that this this version is the sleekest, most efficient, most well thought out version of a show that I'm not that I'm fundamentally not that interested in. So I have to give it a certain respect. I kept hearing that this premiere was super action packed, and I'm always curious about when The Walking Dead goes full on action packed because it tends to be really good at episodes like that. And the actual action beats in the episode were great. Uh, the atmosphere in that cold open is fantastic, even though you know Glenn's not going anywhere. Uh, just the the scoring and the and the blocking and everything was just fantastic in that. But even then, there's a lot about the episode that just made me groan. Like especially that when when Carol gets to that giant uh, room in in Terminus that's got like "Never Again Trust" written in, in big in huge letters on the wall. Or, like, when a character stumbles out and is like, we're the monsters! We're the mo-. Like, it just can't help itself from from having these big, groany, underline the subtext moments every 10 to 15 minutes. And it's like, oh, we've had, we've had, this is like episode 54 of the show or something. We don't need that anymore. Anyway, that really, really bugs me because so much of the rest of the show is better than it's ever been. And there's some parts of it that are still just head-smackingly obvious all the time. <laughs> well, uh, again, I'm going to stay out of it. I'll say that I, I liked the the premiere not as much as some others did. But yeah, I don't disagree with some of uh, some of your complaints. Like, did you know that the real monsters are the humans? We, I'm going to just, again, I'm going to cap it there. Because I've already talked about this and people can listen to me blather around about that episode for a solid hour. Yeah, I, I, w- I will say of all the possible shows to be the most watched thing on TV, there are way worse options. There are. That is true. Um, let's move on to another very popular show, and that's American Horror Story Freak Show. American Horror Story did just get picked up for a fifth season based on apparently a very strong rated premiere. This is Monsters Among Us. I have only seen about half of it. I didn't get to finish it in, uh, by the time we started recording. It's what, so long. It's so long. It's 64 minutes without commercials. That's that's long. Um, well, anyways, uh, what did you think of this premiere, Simon? I, first of all, I just need to say that is too long for an episode of American Horror Story, any episode. I would be saying that even if we were in the middle of Asylum, which uh, so far is still the only season of the show that to totally work for me. And I seem to be in, a, in an utter minority on that. Anyway, what I find fascinating about American Horror Story is that at this point, it's throwing so much at you and so much that you're not seeing from any other show and so much that's so theoretically fascinating that it feels weird that within five minutes of this premiere, you feel like you can kind of write the rest of the episode before you've seen it. Like, at this point, 
Ryan Murphy has the show down to a kind of A plus B plus C formula that I think works against the show's desire to feel really transgressive and out there and uh, utterly unique. And I guess it is utterly unique, just not to itself. Uh, it's it's starting to feel repetitive to me, which uh, is the one thing that, that that this show absolutely should not feel like. You know, this is a show that gets the advantages of having a new setting, a new set of characters, uh, in theory, a new horror subgenre every year. That the, redundant is the one thing it should not feel like. Uh, so that's a problem. Uh, that being said, that I think there are things to like. Uh, I actually really... I mean the 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 scary clown stuff it feels kind of tacked on because without it uh the episode wouldn't feel like a horror series in a way but I do think that the character design of Tricky is uh really effective and really creepy and props to Ryan Murphy for the daylight picnic assault uh which I think most people would not have thought to put that in the middle of a sunny day which to me made the, made the sequence much creepier uh did, did 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 that scene get within your viewing range Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that part of the episode, and uh, I agree, it's far more effective because it is very well lit. I was not watching this in the most ideal of situations. I was in a waiting room, and there were children around, so I had the screen <laughs> very minimized uh, so that I could just put up a hand if a little child stumbled. I was like, as soon as the clown pops up, I'm like, oh, there are kids. Nope, here. nope, 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 nope. Nope. It's like, well then, um, hmm. Yeah, uh, but uh, and then I shortly paused it after that and had to come back to it later, which is why I wasn't able to finish it. I was like, this is not, no, it's not going to work. Not, not going to work right now. No, but uh, it was effective. And uh, and yes, the design, uh, the the creepy giant toothy mask, very creepy, certainly. I loved listening to uh, <laughs> Paul and David talk about it on the Paul Goebel show what person is like oh there's a horrifying clown coming i'll stand here and wait for them to approach me yeah if anything the the flaw with that sequence is is that the the character design is too scary it just just on a visceral level possibly the 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 most scary scary clown design that i've seen and uh, hopefully they're able to do something interesting with with tricky uh, in terms of actually humanizing him as a character to some degree because i feel like if he's just one note scary clown all season that's not gonna work then again it's american horror story so he could be gone in three episodes who really knows uh i like the fact that by the end of the episode they've pretty much already demolished any notion that it's gonna be uh the the poor freaks versus the demented humans because you know they they make sure that there's blood on everyone's hands and i think that's actually probably a pretty good place for them to start um, mystified like everyone else by Kathy Bates' accent. If you're more distracted by the accent than the beard, I think that's a problem. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I was. It took me a while to get through the episode, uh, even putting aside the length. And it, I guess I just I couldn't shake the feeling that I'd somehow seen this before. So yeah, hopefully they're able to. Hopefully they're able to shake off some of the cobwebs. Uh, the, the season preview that sort of tagged the end of the episode wasn't that promising. Uh, so yeah, we'll see. I will say that I was really impressed with the two-headed Sarah Paulson effect. It took a couple minutes to get used to, but after a while, it becomes surprisingly natural. Yeah, I that works very well, and Sarah Paulson is good in the dual performance. And I just, from again, I haven't finished the episode yet. Um, but what I've seen of it, I am kind of like you say, if, if, if the clown wasn't in there, I would just kind of rather watch 
a show about these characters that didn't feel the need to be a horror show that could just kind of be about them and their lives. That would be way more interesting to me, uh, at least than what I've seen so far. But I'll withhold any, you know, real judgment, a significant judgment till I've seen the entire premiere. And then we'll talk about it next week uh, a bit more, I'm sure. Uh, let's move on to the Flash pilot, City of Heroes. This was another one of the most praised, uh, critically praised of the fall pilots. Uh, I thought some of it worked really well and some of it uh, was less successful. What did you think? You actually watched. I wasn't sure you would. Well, you asked me. I tend to watch things you ask me to watch. And this is so not for me, dude. I mean, <laughs> it's not as offensive as Gotham. I'll put that out there. But, like, I'll give you a perfect example of why I shouldn't be watching shows like this. There's a scene near the end where the Flash, Barry Allen, goes to see his dad, who apparently is the original guy to play the Flash, um, in prison. And he says something about, remember when we were young and you asked me not to go by my name so people wouldn't associate me with you? And then instantly, the first thing I could think of was, dude, your family name is Allen. No one's going to fucking know it's you. No one's <laughs> going to think to make that association, okay? You're fine. <laughs> Yeah, scenes like that, the scenes in prison, all basically all the angsty stuff did not work for me in this uh, pilot at all. I, I didn't think that Grant Gustin did a particularly good job in scenes like that. He just was overly earnest um, in pain. It just looked like he was just having some stomach cramps or something. <laughs> so those scenes did not work for me. Um, I hadn't thought of that notion, but yeah, that is hilarious and may you're absolutely right. That's <laughs> that's kind of amazing. Um, but, uh, you know, what moments that did work for me are, are you know, everything with Tom Cavanaugh. Even Tom Cavanaugh makes his stupid, I was wrong, run, Barry, run, or whatever. He, he makes that almost work. That is impressive. Uh, on the other hand, is it just me or did Jesse L. Martin just seem really uncomfortable throughout? Has he had work done? No, I thought I thought he was good. I I thought he worked. He was the other strength of, of this pilot for me. Yeah, I don't know. That performance didn't work for me. Maybe just because it was too distracting based on history of Law and Order. But yeah, not so much. I mean, again, this is just I get distracted by by dumb minutia. Like another early scene when they're panning over the newspaper headlines, and it's like, guy kills wife. And then they specify he was charged. Like, okay, that's not how you write about a murder in a newspaper. You say alleged. Like, I don't care what universe it is. That's not how journalism works. Again, I'm not, it's me. It's me. It's my fault. I'm not watching it correctly. I should not be thinking about these things. But I'm not engaged in superhero origin stories, of which this is exactly like every other superhero origin story you've ever seen. And I do mean exactly like, right down to the dead parent. So, or allegedly dead parent or whatever. The thing that makes it different is that he gets his superpowers and goes, awesome! Yeah, which, like, I get the happy, happy, joy, joy aspect makes it a little bit different. But even then, like, the the appearance by the Ar by Arrow, Green Arrow, whatever, midway through the episode A, made me really never want to check into Arrow because it just looks so obnoxious. Sorry. Um, B, like, really made a point of underlining the tonal difference with felt tip which yeah like i guess i get i i get it and i don't get it at the same time it's just clearly not i'm not the ideal viewer yeah and that's fine you know if if that stuff is bothering you it means that the show hasn't done its job 
and you know not every show is for every viewer so i I'm, i thank you for checking it out i was curious how you were going to feel about it in relation to gotham so we got our i got my answer and uh with that being said what wins your week in genre uh oh sorry one more complaint i never ever ever need another wacky uh wacky tech nerd lab tech character who thinks everything is cool and designs the superhero stuff for him, including a really sharp-looking lightning pin, which doesn't seem like you should have on a thing that you're running really... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a character I never need to see again. Uh, for genre, I will give it to... Huh. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't a great week for me. Uh, I mean, I didn't hate American Horror Story, so I guess I can have it. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I will actually give it to The Walking Dead for being the best Walking Dead it can be even if it's not a show I find particularly compelling. And I will give it to the Arrow premiere, The Calm. Look at me, give his pick of the week to, to Arrow. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm glad to be pro-Arrow. It only took me about 10 tries, but here <laughs> we are. Uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama. Shining bright above you My breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me Say nighty night and kiss me Just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me This week in drama, I'm going to talk briefly about Kingdom and then Parenthood. Simon, you're going to talk about Homeland. We'll talk about The Affair and then uh, The Nick, The Golden Lotus, uh, Boardwalk Empire, Devil You Know, and The Good Wife Oppo Research. So first, Kingdom, I I wanted to talk about it last week and then with it being such a full week in TV, I forgot. <laughs> we had a lot of different shows to talk about, and this one slipped my mind. It premiered last week on the Audience Network, which is owned by DirecTV. Good luck finding it on your cable provider, everyone. Apparently, some of you have it. Others may not. Uh, I've seen the first four. I do think this is a promising show. I really like some of the central performances. Particularly, I was impressed by... Um, uh, Tucker by Jonathan Tucker. I've not seen him in this kind of a physical performance before. He I had some elements to this, his this kind of character on Hannibal, but I just I know him so much as like a Bob Little kind of smarmy dude in a suit that seeing him be crazy, ridiculously ripped, um, drug addict MMA guy is a very different kind of performance. Uh, for me to see him in, and I thought he did a really good job. Uh, Matt Loria is very good here. Uh, everybody who loves him on Friday Night Lights will be happy to see him pop up here. Uh, Frank Grillo does, uh, does a good job as uh, the lead. Kylie Sanchez, I, I did not recognize her from Lost. I was like, I actually like this performance and this character um, and this actor. And then was like, oh, wait, that was Nikki of Nikki and Paolo, if you had told me that she was a really good actress, I would not have believed you from Lost. And so I was Again, like, no bad actors. 
<laughs> so it, I, re- I, th- I think she does a very good job um, keeping that character from becoming the uh, nagging girlfriend kind of character. The writing also certainly helps her out there. It would be nice if there were more women on the show, but that's not what the show is. Uh, that may change. I'm hoping it will. Nick Jonas does a good job as well in his role. I think he's uh, well used. And um, again, the physicality of all the actors, all the fighters, really does work very well. And um, they do a good job with the fights and the sparring and just kind of showing life outside the ring for these characters. I have a review up uh, or and look at the first four episodes, spoiler free, at the AV Club. You guys can check it out to, to get my fuller thoughts. But I wanted to mention it and just kind of make sure it's on people's radar. Hopefully people will check it out and, uh, you know, give it a shot. It's a very full landscape right now, but uh, I think this is a good show and I hope it doesn't disappear. Uh, so I wanted to mention it. Parenthood, The Waiting Room. I wanted to mention this one specifically just because Bonnie Bedelia is awesome in it. Very good. I mean, it's it's a strong episode all around. Um, I considered writing it up uh, for Sound on Sight, but realized I didn't have much more to say than feels good performances, guys. And uh, so, you know, hopefully there will be an episode coming up soon where I will have more to say than aren't these actors good when they're given stuff to do? Um yeah, and I'm now more on the Zeke may not die, uh, he may be a fake out and somebody else will die thing, you know? That's where I'm leading right now. But um, what do you think? Uh, well, I haven't, I've missed the last couple episodes, but it would be, it would be a very Kadem's-y thing to do. Yeah, because, I mean, they, he has his surgery and, you know, see, everything seems to be fine. If you're going to have him go into surgery, I mean, it seems like it would have been more... If you're going to kill him off, then you have him postpone it. And then he, when he finally decides to do it late in the season, it's too late, you know. So You could always go a full six feet under and kill them both. I don't think they're going to kill both. They, they could, probably won't. They easily could do a uh, it's Camille who dies thing, but that would just, that would really be hard. Like, I don't care if Zeke dies. I'm just going to be honest. But I would <laughs> care if Camille dies. So um, I hope they don't. But we'll see. Wanted just to mention Bonnie Bedelia is really great when you give her stuff to do. Uh, what do you have to say about Homeland, Shalwar Kameez? Uh, I don't have a lot to say about Homeland. I do want to say, though, I find it bizarre that the that many of the people who still watch Homeland are shippers. Like, why? You know, we remember what we saw with her last week? Why would you ship anyone with Carrie? Why? Unless you really, really hate the person you're shipping her with. This is not a person you should be shipping people. Why would you? Anyway, I just find that bizarre and kind of hilarious, but mostly kind of frightening. Fair enough. Yeah, that, that's, that was the only thing I heard about this episode was shipping stuff. And uh, yeah, you know, Car- I don't think Carrie's in a place right now to really be in a healthy relationship. Uh, if she ever was or will be. Uh, who knows? But certainly not at this time in her life. But uh... I, I, I will say that the the actual scene, the sequence of her and Ion making contact was really, really nicely played. It felt like old school Homeland with great acting and and just generally solid construction. And, and that made me remember when the show was actually really, really great. And that feels like it was a long time ago. Okay. Well, should I check it out? Uh, if you've got time, it's not. It's not essential viewing by any means. Okay. Well, what about the affair? Uh, people will have seen the pilot now, so we can say, hey, there's two perspectives that we're following. 
Uh, what do you think? Uh, anything you want to say that we didn't get into last week? Uh, well, I've I've had the week to sort of mull it over. I will say that uh, so much is conditional based on future episodes. The a lot of my o- my overall feeling whether the show will wind up working or not is going to depend on are we seeing what these characters believe to be their truth or are we seeing something they are deliberately crafting to tell a narrative because i feel like those are really different they're and, hugely different and i feel as though that the different or, or is one character trying to present their truth and the other crafting a narrative uh or whatever uh, we don't know that yet. And the fact that the differences between the stories are very specific and they can't be like, it really does have to be one or the other or neither. Like for instance, the brand of cigarettes that Dominic West is smoking, uh, which uh, in his version, they're cool French cigarettes and in her version. They're just average American cigarettes. You know, it, it can't be both. It's gotta be one or the other or neither. And, I, again like is is he constructing that in some way or is she constructing that in some way or are they just both misremembering that would be a weird thing for them both to misremember like do you, do you see what i'm saying yeah i, like, I th- do um but my answer to that is gonna be i would assume that he's gonna remember his brand of cigarettes more accurately than she's gonna remember because she doesn't care about them and he does and there so what i would assume based on this pilot is that we're going to get there's going to be certain elements of his perspective that are correct and certain elements of her perspective that are correct. If you can be correct, you know what I mean? And so I, I would love for us to get a, you know, some sort of third party omniscient look at what actually happened at some point, because it's got to be a blend of the two. I feel like that's not going to happen. (laughs) I mean, based on, uh, I don't want to get spoilery, but I uh, certain things I was hoping for out of this season uh, we're not going to get. Certain things that I was worried about we're also not going to get. The co-creators were also involved in In Treatment, which makes a lot of sense because that was a show that was all about format and playing with format and playing with perspective and playing with structure in a really unusual way. And they bring that to this in a different sort of way. And that's sort of what I'm excited about for the show, the, watching them toy with sort of a new idea of how a, a, a drama like this can be constructed. Uh, much like with Jane the Virgin, it's it's a good pilot that sort of portends potential ways it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> so I, I don't mean to be, I'm being cautiously optimistic. And I think that, I mean, I think the performances are great. I think the characterization is interesting. Um, I'm just, I'm worried about its long, long-term prospects. But then again, I mean, I, I liked a lot about in treatment and I, I think that it had a lot to recommend it and it's sort of been weirdly forgotten. So, uh, like I said, cautiously optimistic. It's got a lot of things going for it, but I'm hoping that I feel like I'm hoping they resist the urge to be ambiguous about everything. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I yeah. I was hoping, silly me, I was hoping after I watched this the first time that we were going to get differing perspectives throughout the season and not, like, we would get a more tyranny episode. No, <laughs> apparently not. It's just all going to be his, he said, she said. Um, and how long they can sustain that format will be, uh, will be interesting, I would be surprised, by the way, if because they leave it an open question in in uh, in the Seth Wall interview. But I would be very surprised if they didn't open that up in future seasons, assuming they exist. Yeah, 
Well, uh, let's move on to our next episode here. The Nick, the Golden Lotus. I don't really have much to say about this one other than uh, I just, it seems to me the show became more interesting as it opened up and moved the perspective or the, the, the center, center of the show from being a uh, Clive Owen vehicle to being an ensemble drama. And in these this in this episode and in you know the this last couple, ar- this last arc of the series uh, of the season that is, uh, it seems to be going back to being very much the the Thack show, and I just am not interested in that. Uh, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from. I think that the is the Thack plotline about Thack, or is it about? how insane it is that it was so easy to score coke in 1900 and uh and you know until it isn't but um you know is and that's that's sort of to me a a tricky question one of the most interesting things to me about the nick is the way it's able to lean in on sort of the freakiest aspects of its time period and find interesting ways to depict that whether it always does that that with thack i'm not sure but uh, the fact that Lucy sort of gets wrapped up in the addiction, I think, is more interesting than if she hadn't. Um, the way that they depict the, the sheer mania of it, I think, is more interesting than necessarily the impact on the characters themselves. Uh, but sort of to extend that into the other plot lines, the the way that they uh, just de- depict how how precarious, how much worse everything was for all these characters living in, you know, working in this profession and not having access to, to the curative powers that they would hope to, I think it is really well handled. The, the fact that Algernon has like the fact that have that keeping that child is just not an option is, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to see coming, I guess, but it, it is heartbreaking to watch him move, move to that place of, of knowledge on that subject where he just, there is no rationalizing your way out of it. I think it's really heartbreaking. Also, the staging of that sequence was was incredible. Uh, very, I guess, sort of reverse, almost Children of Men, except it doesn't actually happen. Uh, and come on, the dead baby was so 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 creepy and sad and horrible. Dead baby was definitely creepy and sad and horrible. And the stuff that we get with with Algernon, yeah, I mean that 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 was very affecting and very well done. I like how his solution is to just go to Europe. And it won't be as bad there. Not like it'll be good. It just won't be as bad. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, yeah, certainly I think there's... Uh, there is interesting stuff still happening. I just... I am not interested in drug addict wants drugs. Because, again, I feel like that's a story I've seen before. Much like the early part of the series um, or the season felt like stuff... The stuff with... The, what we were getting with Thack felt like things I had seen other shows and other uh films do uh this again it's a, it's slightly different because we haven't necessarily seen this specific time period but there's nothing new to that for me so um uh, that's all i'll say uh, before we get to our finale this week uh let's move on to boardwalk empire do you have any other thoughts on the nick nope boardwalk empire then uh the devil you know this is the uh anti-penultimate episode Love and that word. It's a good word. You don't get to say it that much. Uh, we have obviously two big deaths in this episode. Everybody seemed very to be big fans of this episode, at least that I saw on Twitter. What did you think? When you're eliminating two characters that have been around since the beginning of the show, obviously people are going to respond. I think both deaths were handled uh, 
gracefully and appropriately for the characters, even though, frankly, I had a really hard time remembering the specifics of the Chalky daughter situation, mostly because last season wasn't wasn't that spectacular to me, as much as I do enjoy both characters. Uh each character's each character's sort of final notes were totally appropriate, especially uh, Michael Shannon as Van Alden going out as as you would expect in a blaze of crazy glory. Uh, the stuff with Steve Buscemi and the women was not that interesting to me, uh, especially because it was I don't know it was was it incredibly obvious to you as it was to me what was going on there? Uh, it was yeah it it wasn't uh, surprising at all no no I mean it is it's it is interesting in the sense that we get to watch him just be a drunk idiot for a change instead of, you know, trying to make him as usual into this mesmerizing crime kingpin, which is the aspect of the series that has never worked for me. So it, it's always fun to watch Buscemi play, play the character totally differently. Although the way he snaps back into kingpin mode at the end also didn't work for me. So I don't know. I, I, I agree with you that, uh, or you haven't said this yet, but I feel like this episode didn't wasn't as spellbinding for you as it was for other people. I think the highs were great, and the rest was kind of negligible. Certain parts of it worked really well, I would say. Uh, it, no, it was it. I wasn't uh, bowled over the way that some people seem to have been. It certainly didn't feel like um, all time best Boardwalk Empire. But I'm not sure. Again, I've only seen a few seasons of the show. I haven't seen the earlier seasons, so I don't know what I would call all-time best Boardwalk Empire because it's such a specific kind of show. You know, I don't know if you can do a best episode of. I don't know if there is an indicative episode. Anyways, um, that's a discussion for another time. Uh, This episode, you know, everything we got with Capone, all of that really did work for me. Uh, The, this... (laughs) It just felt it's very felt very random. Felt like oh, there's two episodes left. After this, we better start killing characters. Um, but at least you know it, you know everything we got with Capone, everything we got with uh, you know Michael Shannon and, and Shea Wiggum, really uh, with those two. I mean, there's troubles at home. I could vouch for that. <laughs> yeah, hilarious. There's so much great comedy there. Um, the the just the crazy Michael Shannon eyes in his last moments. You know, have him re- resuming the mantle of Van Alden. Uh, that was all fantastic. What we got with daughter Maitland, I really liked that. Uh, I you know that part of Boardwalk last season was one of the strongest parts of it for me. I'm very glad to see uh, the, that trio come back together at least for a, a scene. That really did work for me. I like that Nucky had such a strong response to Sally's death because I know that I did as a viewer. I don't know that I needed a whole episode of it. Um, however, you know, they wanted to, to focus on his backstory a bit more. So they used that as a way to compare him to the Commodore and to these other figures from his past. Um, very interesting to say, see the same actress play... Um, Apparently, Nucky's what future crazy wife here, and then of course on the Nick as well. Um, but oh, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, it's a little distracting for me, but uh, you know, not in a bad way. I like seeing her in both roles. Um, but yeah, so the rest of this episode really it didn't engage me. It was it was a more of a enjoying a moment at a time as opposed to or like a scene. Uh, as opposed to everything else, and I wasn't particularly moved or saddened by the deaths of either of those two characters. Whereas I was, I was, you know, my, you know, my, my heart sank a bit when Sally died. 
I was very sorry to see her go in, especially in that way. Um, Whereas here, it was just sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, um, the notion that that uh, Jillian's going to be a major part of these last two episodes is a surprise to me, and I'm interested to see what they're doing with that. Yeah, because uh, that's the one kind of arc that we haven't seen. Uh, we don't really necessarily know where it's going. There aren't very many loose ends to really tie up, besides obviously this war that's brewing that we already know how it's going to end. Um, so that is very curious to me as well. Well, uh, let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's The Good Wife, Oppo Research. Uh, your review is up at Sound on Sight, and I look for, I still haven't had the chance to read it, but I look forward to it. What did you think of this episode? Spoiler alert, it's 1,300 words. Sorry. <laughs> um, this was an interesting episode to read about because it seemed like a lot of people responded to it very strongly. Uh, this is a King's Penned episode, which is always a big deal because their voice is so specific and informs the whole show in a really palpable way. So this was a very concentrated dose of what they're about. I think for mostly better, but a little bit of worse. The, where do we start? I mean, I, I, I think I need to start mainly by saying that the editing, scoring, uh, most of the writing uh, in this episode is just dizzying. I wish I'd had a chance to watch it twice uh, before I mo- wrote my review, but I was watching live. Uh, so I only had the one viewing to go out on with my notes. Uh, so much happening, so much happening in those scenes with uh, with Alicia doing being faced with Oppo research, which was every bit as unpleasant as she was promised. And I mean, those micro flashbacks, which, which they've done, I mean, I've been a function of the show for a while, but they've been so great this season, especially uh, doing such a great job to alter our perception of Zach as it evolves in her mind. Uh, just that alone made the episode worth worth the price of admission. So much to love, and yet a couple things to be annoyed by. <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, this I have seen perfect episode kind of descriptors in some places, and I don't think that's true here. But uh, yeah, the the real standout part of this episode, if I have to pick one, it's definitely the stuff with Zach. I thought that was fantastic. It's once again, the good wife using memory in a unique and fascinating way in a way that no other show does or has to my knowledge. It really, really worked. I love when she does finally get him on the phone and she calls him on the pot thing and he just doesn't really respond. Um, it's just, it was, it was great. I love that the show doesn't mind, you know, having us think that Zach is one kind of a, a person and having it be, he is that, but also he's a teenager. So you know what? He lies to his parents sometimes. A lot of teenagers do that. Um, yeah. And also putting context to that phone call from, from, uh, Nissa that, that led to all of the, the, you know, three hop, um, phone uh, thing from the NSA. You know, I thought that was was fabulous. Um, there's just so much to to really enjoy about that. Um, that part, just that little chunk of the episode. I really liked the episode as a whole. I thought it was great. I had a blast watching it. Um, but yeah, I would really have to single out that storyline. Yeah, but I feel like we have to talk about darkness at noon which is i don't want to get i don't want to talk about this too long because it is a relatively minor part of the episode but i mean uh, it was so strange watching the show within the show evolve as a running gag 
having Joe Weisberg of the Americans make a uh, make a cameo as himself, which honestly, the second that he came on screen, I was I was freaking out because I I was just like. I'm so happy that the people who make The Good Wife love the Americans because I also love the Americans. And it was confirmed in uh, the the Good Wife the Good Wife writers have a have a Twitter account and they said uh, American season two was the best season of anything this year. Uh, so that that was their way of, of of showing off their love, and I love that. I feel like it's unprecedented for one drama to big up another while both are airing. Uh, so that's cool, but. I feel like they need to ease up after this on the darkness at noon gags for a while because it's just getting a little bit unwieldy. It was very distracting to me in an episode that, you know, it's one thing, the last time we saw her go to watch Darkness at Noon or whatever, it was where she was forced to have a day off. Um, and so here, you know, there's some humanizing touches where they're like, okay, spoiler alert, and she can't get to the remote. And they, you know, you know <laughs> that was a fun little humanizing moment, but they kept going back to it. And, you know, there was so much else going on when they have that line about uh, of talking at noon or whatever, where they're talking about badasses. Um, and then they just hold on Alicia, you know, sipping her wine. It's like, okay, we get what you're saying. The Good Wife is usually a, a very subtle show. It's some in some ways it's not. In some ways it's really not. But I expect better, I guess, from the <laughs> the Kings than to just be like, see, see, because what we're saying is that our character is a badass, but in a way that's not valued by society and certainly not by the ridiculous number of, view of viewers that The Walking Dead gets. Uh, so you know, there's just. I would. It was. It was. A lot of people really loved it, and I enjoy the show within the show. But I feel like you only get one of those. You know, Twin Peaks had their soap. Uh, there's there's plenty of shows that have a show within a show that are that is fun. Uh, I don't think they. I don't think they're allowed to have two. <laughs> Even if one is a is just a spinoff of the other. Yeah. Uh, for I mean I mean I do love that it was called Talking at Noon. <laughs> yeah, which is perfect. <laughs> that made me laugh a lot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and there's a lot of good comedy in this episode. I love the stuff with Eli and the intern. The way that that was shot with just this huge ramping up to when, he, like, you almost, you almost, you can see him doing mental cartwheels on the way down the hallway and the receptionist being like, fuck yeah, this is going to happen. And it's like, <laughs> you're fired. It was just so great. So it was just like a fist pump moment. It, I mean, it was undercut later, but for the for the time that it happened, it was one of the best comedic moments they've done in a while. That being said, I'm still not sold on uh, Lamont Bishop being such a huge part of the season, especially to, especially now that they've tied him in with the state's attorney run. They need to diversify a little bit with that character if that's going to work. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I I think it could be interesting. Um, but I also think it could become problematic almost immediately. I don't really see a win. I don't see a way out for Alicia that works. Um, as soon as she formalizes her run, she will be accepting drug money f from a kingpin who kills people for his job. And, uh, it's really hard to to still support her. You can like a character and not necessarily think they're a good person. I don't know if I can think she's a good person, and I want to be able to think that Alicia is a good person if she's taking that Lamont Bishop's drug money to 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 buy her way into uh, her election. 
Well, maybe this is the time for me to throw out to you. Why is Alicia running? Alicia doesn't know why she's running. Yeah. Why do you think Alicia's running? Why do I think Alicia's running? Um, to have uh, something that is for herself completely, because her she has her law firm, but that's also with Carrie and now with Diane. Um, and also, I think she's running because people are telling her not to. Yes, we're, you haven't read my review yet, which is why I wanted to ask you that, so that I could appreciate us having a mind melt moment. Yeah, hive mind. Uh, and yeah, there's definitely some hive mind going on there. I feel like the main reason that she's running is because she can, and because people have told her that she can't. Uh, and and also because at this point, I, I, I feel as though at this point in her life, so much is falling apart that she feels the only response is to keep climbing and to, to sort of try to uh, try to ascend above the bullshit further uh, which I think she knows on some level is impossible and isn't really what she's doing. Uh, but that's just, it's, it's, it sort of feels like it's her inevitable only option somehow. Uh, it's, I don't think that's true, but I think it, it's true. It makes sense to me that it feels that way for the character. So I don't really need them to do any more um, sort of justification for why she's running. I just need more building on making that story the the most interesting possible one. Yeah, her running feels like her, her. It feels like her running away. Yes. That's interesting, and we'll see what they, how much they explore that. But uh, yeah, um, the last thing I'll mention here is Finn Polmar. I thought that was adorable. They're seen at the uh, at, at the bar, and I love that he does his, you know, does what he can to try to he, to get her to not get, you know, caught with the 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 breathalyzer test or whatever it is um because finn is awesome yeah i mean i i didn't really catch on to that until you mentioned it to me and it's true i feel like she's screwed either way mm -hmm. because if she sticks around with him and gets sauced and then gets in a cab with him someone's gonna see that and that's gonna be way worse than the picture of him coming out of her hotel in the morning well yeah but so... but she doesn't need to get in a cab with him and she can just have another drink and then not drive that's true. Um, either way, like it, it feels like there's no, not really a good option to meet for meeting with him in public at all. Mm -hmm. So yeah, but I continue to really enjoy Matthew Good and Finn Palmer in general. I, Finn Palmer, just keep saying it, Finn Palmer. Yeah, people Finn who Palmer. have a problem with that name, I don't get it. Cause the, <laughs> it's a great name. It's a great name. Enjoy it's, it's very a consonant. good name. Yes, it, you said on Twitter that it was the cellar door of names, and I don't disagree. Uh, yes. Any final thoughts about this episode? Do you want to talk about you know any of the other uh, Oppo research elements, or Carrie and Diane, or uh, or Connie Nielsen, who's clearly going to be coming back at some point? Who you know the the intern could be his daughter. Yeah. Um... No, I'm going to leave that for now. There wasn't a lot. They really honed in on, on the Alicia Oppo research stuff this week, which I think was smart. Uh, yeah, like, as as I've been saying before, I, I think it's the big picture stuff I'm worried about. The the small things, the minutia, the actual production elements. The Good Wife is as much on fire with that stuff as it has ever been. It's it's the, it's the, it's the arc I'm worried about. Okay. Well, um... On that cheery note, uh, what was your weekend drama? I'm still going to give it to the good wife. Yeah, yeah, me too, because it was awesome. 
<laughs> we're complaining, but come on. Yeah, it was delightful. Uh, well, on that note, a few show notes here. You can find a post-up for this episode at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can also like us on Facebook to follow the goings on on Soundonsite TV as well as for the two of us. You can uh, find us in iTunes where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You, We would very much appreciate a rating or review there. It's It's been a while, guys, maybe, if there's some new listeners out there. If you have an iTunes uh, account, you know, We'd appreciate it. Uh, it does help other people find the show. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. And, of course, we're both up on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and you are? At Sucker Howl. And Simon, what's our question of the week? Did you happen to notice, Kate, uh, last week, I feel like a week or so ago, I talk about this in the piece that hopefully should be up by tomorrow, the sort of mild clusterfuck that, uh, that centered around the cancellation bear? No, I didn't. Are you, are you familiar with the cancellation I've bear? I've heard of the cancellation bear. Yeah. Right. So the cancellation bear is a Twitter account that is one that is pr- not just primarily completely concerned with the odds that shows will survive based on current ratings patterns. Uh, actually is against thinking about not, I wouldn't say against, but it really has absolutely no interest in the artistic considerations of whether or not shows should be sticking around. It's based on, it's sort of based on the mentality that you should, you should be watch. You should be sticking with the winning team. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole other philosophical discussion. But I, I'm just curious if readers pay any attention to ratings when they start on new series, and are, do they have a, an eye on the exit, or do they just go with it? Interesting. Well, I just go with it. Uh, but um, yeah, this notion of oh, it's low rated, so I'm not going to check it out. It's, it's like you realize that it's it's low rated, so it needs you to watch it even more. Even if you don't have a ratings box, then maybe you'll be talking about it more, and then it'll, you know. So it's the low-rated shows that need more help. But, um, you know, I really don't get that that approach. But then again, I don't have a problem jumping in mid-season or mid-series, and I don't have a problem uh, I'm not, you know, if a show gets canceled, unless it's a show I absolutely love, I, you know, usually it's I can deal with that. You know, I, I, I'm hardened to the, the realities of the television landscape. How about you, Simon? Uh, I wouldn't disagree with any of that. You can read more in my piece on TV and closure and why people are dumb. (laughs) No, that's not really about why people are dumb. It's a very positive article. Now it's time for the DVD shelf. Uh, We'll be talking with uh, LaToya Ferguson from the AV Club and the Televoid about life as we know it. And that's coming up right after this. Okay, okay, here's one. You have to sleep with one of these two people. Jonathan's mom oh, <laughs> or Jonathan's dad? Oh. Dude, take your mom, man. Take your mom. <laughs> you have to pick two. Dude, I'm definitely taking your mom. What can be your mom? Because he said your mom. Choose. No. You have to. Your mom or your dad. That's disgusting. How could you not choose your mom? Your dad's a guy. You know what? I'm not playing, all right? It doesn't count. No, you have to. Those are the rules. Okay, fine. Well, I guess since my dad is a oh, guy. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> you sleep with your mom? That's disgusting. You're I can't even sick. say that. What is wrong with you? Okay, see, this is why I didn't want to answer. Dude, it's not any worse than sleeping with your fat girlfriend, Deborah. Okay, oh. she's not my girlfriend. Airlifter in the school. Very funny. They say boys think about sex every 15 seconds. I think about it every five seconds. I mean, I'm thinking about it right now. And now. And now. Man, that's less than five seconds. You see what I'm saying? How are you supposed to go to school? When all you can think about is sex. And then they hire teachers like Miss Young. Seriously, why would they hire her? It's too distracting. How am I supposed to read while she's sitting at her desk? Sooner or later, we looking back on everything. Yeah. We'll laugh about it like we knew what all was happening. 
back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are talking about um, one of my favorite kinds of shows to do on, on the Televerse. And that's a show I either had never heard of or had forgotten existed. In this case, it's, it's the latter of the two. Uh, the show's Life as We Know It, which was a one-season show set in a high school. Uh, we'll get into it, but here to help us talk about it is Latoya Ferguson from the AV Club and, of course, her podcast, The Televoid. Latoya, welcome to the podcast. Hey there. Thanks for having me. So uh, for our listeners who, like me, either didn't have never heard of or uh, had forgotten about this show, what is Life as We Know It about, and why did you want to talk about it this week? Uh, well, Life As We Know It was a teen drama basically following the lives of three boys uh, and uh, their trials and tribulations uh, through the treacherous waters of high school. A lot of, you know, sex talk, uh, family talk, just kind of getting the boys' perspective on the things that really you, you don't usually have them talking about, you know, their emotions and all that fun stuff. So the reason I want to talk about it is because I was I was always a big fan of it when it aired, and it aired the same time as season two of The O.C., so I was getting progressively uh, more frustrated with that as it was airing. I really connected with the show, and then once they decided to move it uh, to The O.C.'s time slot, it's like that I chose it over The O.C. as it died a painful death. <laughs> it was so dumb of ABC to do that. <laughs> yeah, especially because it really, it's, I've seen very little of the OC. I know we have a future DVD shelf planned for that, but um, but it does seem like, given my limited understanding of the show, that it's going for the same audience. Yeah, exactly. And I had friends, too, who were watching both shows at the same time. So it was, so it was like once, you know, they moved it to OC's time frame, it's like, like time slot, like what are you, who are you going to choose, basically? Yeah. Well, and uh, this is a show, you know, I said this on Twitter earlier as well. This is another kind of show that I enjoy on the DVD shelf. And that's one that subverts my expectations because watching the pilot, you get at least, you know, when one has watched as much TV as I know all of us have, there are certain expectations uh, that the pilot gives. And it seems like this is going to be a show very hormone fueled, very much just dudes talking about chicks. Um, but really, it grows over the course of this first season. And I ended up really getting invested in these characters. I was I was surprisingly invested. Um, and I really liked the way it approached certain um, overplayed, shall we say, mm -hmm. uh, relationships or tropes that we see in high school shows. But before we dive into that, uh, Simon, had you heard of Life as We Know It? I'd never heard of it. I had no idea the show existed, and uh, especially as it goes on, and you and you and you keep having those "Hey, it's that guy" or "That lady" moments. Uh, I had no idea that so many of so many actors I really enjoy uh, were a part of it. As I think I've expressed before in the Televerse, I'm generally negative interested in teenagers and teenage drama in general. Uh, I think uh, that being said. Um, this is definitely like not my kind of show, but I think it does a, a lot of things. Uh, it gets some things right that a lot of shows don't. It gets some things wrong that a lot of shows also get wrong. Um, it has some casting issues, which I'm sure we'll get into. It has some uh, some tonal issues here and there, and it has some stuff that I'm just never gonna care about. I'm sorry, Jackie and Dino. I just don't, 
I just don't care about Gino. I'm sorry. I I didn't at the beginning. Gino, I, did you really have to make a shipping name for them? I did. It was just it was there. I'm sure. I don't think anyone made that shipping name. I just don't think there was ever shipping names off, like when it came to this show. So, no, yeah, the, congrats. The, 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 I feel like the show just predated the era of the shipping name, and actually. I feel like temporally the show sits in this weird position where it's before and at, like it's 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 it's, it's on weirdly the cusp, yeah it's, it's on the cusp of a lot of things like the the use of music and especially the breaking the fourth wall feels quite dated um, and they do phase that out over time but other things feel a little bit ahead of its time it's it's weird um, so it's definitely not it would never be like a, a milestone show or anything for me but I will say that based on the first 10 or 15 minutes of the pilot I think that where it ended up going was generally an, a nice little surprise yeah and you know the breaking the fourth wall thing is less common other than a show like you know Modern Family that, that does the fake documentary thing and mockumentary thing but I so prefer this approach to the the fall of voiceover we've been getting um, mm. It was very refreshing to me, just because they wanted to be able to have the 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 kids, the teenage boys reacting like teenage boys, and you know whatever, and storming off, but then to still let the viewer in on all of this complex stuff that was going on in their head. And if you're gonna choose between ways to tell that, it, it's it's it was problematic for me in the pilot, but as the show demonstrated it had more to say and was thinking about more than I had initially expected, I became more and more comfortable with that uh, storytelling device. That storytelling actually helped the most for Dino. I like I realize you don't care about his character, but I think his character especially needed that so he doesn't just seem like a huge prick. Because otherwise <laughs> he's a huge prick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, to be, to be clear, I, I like Dino as a character. I just don't care about Gino. I, I don't care about the, the, the coupling aspect. Uh, I, every time you say it. I like that the show, and actually one of the braver aspects of the show is that Dino is such a prick, and they're even when we get his internal monologue, it doesn't make him less of a dick. It just means we get his justifications for why he's being such a dick, which in some cases, especially in the early episodes, is quite horrific. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that the blend of the breaking the fourth wall stuff with the regular stuff, it, it gives the show this blend of like almost after school, especially vibes with a with a sort of more straightforward freaks and geeks uh i guess quasi realistic approach and that blend really makes me think of degrassi uh which made me you know sort of pleasantly happy in a canadian sort of way <laughs> well should we dive in we've hinted a little bit at this but shall we dive in with some of of the casting because i absolutely love some of it and there's others of it that's really confusing to me yeah we all know the worst, obviously. We all know the worst casting. Yeah, so so <laughs> Kelly Osborne, bless her, there's some stuff that she's really good at in this, that she really works well in. Um, but then there's other stuff that really she just takes you right right out of it because she's not, she's not really an actress. She isn't She's happy. really not. You know, so when she gets these moments that are supposed to have more range... It just didn't, there are just many times it really didn't work. And actually, I think maybe the biggest problem I have with with her casting is this, is that they, at the end of the, the, the run, in one of the episodes that didn't actually air on TV, but is on the DVD set, um, we meet her father, and her father's played by Craig Ferguson. And I was very excited when that happened, until he started talking, and they made <laughs> him be English to try to match her accent instead of letting 
him you know be his own scottish self and it was so distracting it almost kind of killed that guest performance for me as much as i love greg ferguson i know that's such a strange and then thing her mom is connie Britton, which is also great too and she doesn't have to do any accent work lucky her she gets like one scene it's some of this casting like you were saying simon this there's a lot of people that i really love on this show yeah well and as long as we're talking about casting and appropriateness like yes kelly osborne isn't good and is immensely distracting 90% of the time that she's on screen. Um, but we can't overlook the fact that everyone is too old. Everyone is too old. They're distractingly we, too old. Are we old. still doing this? Really? Well, this was 10 years ago. Um, but yes, we are still doing this. If anything, I feel like it's gotten worse. You know, if you aren't freaks and geeks, you're doing this. Yeah, they were like 1920, though, at this time, actually. So it was yeah. like... That's actually, like, the best of the two old casting, when you think about it. At least it wasn't mid-20s. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're going to do a plot line where, and this is something else we're obviously going to have to talk about, where, like, a student-teacher hookup thing is a major plot point, it kind of takes the edge off when the age difference is supposed to be, like, 15 and 23, but it's actually, like, 20 and 28. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You're absolutely right, Latoya. This is a lot closer than a lot of shows, you know, uh, Vampire yeah. Diaries, uh, amongst many, many <laughs> oh, others. Yeah. Um, Those however, characters aren't even close to 200. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they don't look a day past 35. But um, the, yeah, th those are a significant few years. As someone who teaches middle and high schoolers, there's a, you know, the, the difference between 15 or 16 and 19 and 20 is huge and um when we're supposed to be following um this teacher uh student relationship it makes a very big like if if basically if missy peregrine was was playing the teacher which would be age appropriate closer to age appropriate at least and then we had i don't know one of the one of the guys from freaks and geeks playing the, the student all of a sudden it feels very very different doesn't it <laughs> Hell, Dino's little brother would be would be closer to age appropriate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and we should, let's talk about that relationship because I actually, that's one of the things that turned me off about the pilot because I was like, oh God, why does every show about teenagers feel the need to do this plot line? Because so many of them have. It's harder to find ones that haven't. But I really love what happens with it where, no, pretty quickly you realize, no, she's crazy. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't like how they sugarcoat everything at the end. They're like, oh, it's all okay. You're not traumatized. It's wasn't, I, you know. But yeah, I, I feel like most of this has to do with probably the casting, too. Like how you were saying, because of the age difference, like it's not even that big a deal when you think of the actors. Because, like, I typically, you know, I hate the student teacher thing all the time, obviously. Pretty Little Liars. It's the worst thing in the entire world. But, like, those two actors have, like, such great chemistry. I'm kind of just like, oh, this is great. But, so, like, I, I become one of those people who's like, oh, yes, they're the best thing in the entire world. But obviously it's wrong. And actually, because the, the show is based on a, a book. And in that book, it, it goes, like, she's completely insane. Like, she is, like, she, like, he tries to leave her because he realized she's insane. And she, like, slits her wrist because... She's like, no, you're not leaving me. That's not happening at all. So I like that they were able to like show a little bit of that. 
And when they start to go that way, I think it works so well with the play and the, then giving the student the D and everything. You're like, oh, oh, I love that they're doing this. They're not, you know, trying to pretend that everybody's okay. And, you know, this doesn't, you know, that, that a teacher getting involved with a sophomore uh, is is just standard operating procedure that there's some there's stuff wrong in her life and with her that is leading her to make this kind of self-destructive decision. Um, but... But but then they again at the end they they have that last goodbye scene and it's very heartfelt and I realize now that it was wrong and you realize now yeah. that it was wrong. I mean I really wish they had just let that go without that final scene. I would have been much um, much happier with the the direction it went. See, I, I feel like there's no way to win doing that plot line with these actors. Like it, I mean, you, you they got some good moments out of it, but. You can't if you go like the full trauma route with her being insane. That's one kind of hackneyed, I think. Yeah. If you if if you have them, but I think the way they have it with the actors having such like weirdly good chemistry, and like and with Dylan Baker being like it happened to me and I'm fine, like <laughs> which you know I love the Bakers on this, but I feel like it kind of ends up feeling like pro student teacher hookup, which I don't think they meant to do. <laughs> Yeah, like if they had gone like her full psycho, it just it wouldn't really feel true to the show in general. And I think especially compared to the OC at the time, this was like a more understated earnest show. So it's just kind of like it happens. We'll have this moment forever, I guess, in that weird romantic sort of way. That's how it ends. And then but basically because uh, I've read up like on how the show would have continued if it had continued. And that kind of throws everything out the window. What I'm just saying right now, because she would have come back pregnant. So, oh, God. oh Jesus! Which yeah, right? Oh, that like God. that ruins everything, right? Yeah. But the way it the way it does end, it's just kind of like it's kind of a sweet, like bittersweet type thing, and then it's just it's over. It happened, and I, I kind of appreciate that. I'd say instead of making it this huge soap opera thing, really. Well, then I have to ask if you know what they were thinking with uh, the end of the. I mean, it's really. It, I think in the, on the whole, it ends pretty well for a show that got you know that got canceled, but. The last scene is with Kelly Osborne randomly deciding to just leave her mom to go back to her home to planet. Go back. <laughs> yeah, were they planning to follow her, or was she being written out? Because I don't know actually, because I I have read a couple of things about what would have happened, but I don't think I ever saw what would have happened to Deb. I think maybe she would have come back, but like that's a perfect place to, like to write her off, honestly. Mm -hmm. Oh, if it had happened in like episode four, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait, my gosh, that would have been perfect. I, I like I take kind of a pleasure in how bad she was in the show. But you know uh, who I really enjoyed watching though was seeing Chris Lowell. If I had seen this show before he showed up in Veronica Mars, I think I would have liked Piz so much better. <laughs> yeah, that, that's though? why I, I can never hate on Piz because of him in the show. I I like Chris Lowell a lot here and a lot on Enlisted, but I'm sorry, nothing can save Piz. He is a useless waste of space. Wow, the Piz hate. It's sorry. It's true. It's it. It's the my my Chris Lowell enjoyment is not good. Is not enough to outweigh my my piss hatred. But he's very good. As much as uh, Kate, you were saying this to me earlier, he, he should. He's not allowed to be shirtless on this show because every time you see how jacked he is, it's like how is he the nerdy one? Exactly. It's, it's like this is not work. Especially like they make his hair more normal over the course. Like it, he's he's got really dorky hair at at first, and it kind of normalizes a bit near the end. It's like yeah, you you really can't pull this off, dude. Yeah, everybody starts getting CW hair about halfway through. 
the the, yeah. the the season, which is an interesting shift, um, certainly for Ben as well. But um, but yeah, it's like wait, weren't you guys talking about how he can't ski and he doesn't like sports and. <laughs> Never take his shirt off. You don't get to show him in a towel in your finale when he looks ridiculously ripped if he's a guy who can't, you know, stand up straight on skis. It's just genetics, you know. Yeah. It's nice from those abs. Yes, I'm sure. Although, although, as long as we're on the subject of actors getting jacked, can I just say that there will never be a funnier version of that than Elena's brother on The Vampire Diaries? Yes, son. Yes, that was a training montage. Yep, that was pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, Well, let's talk about some some of these other cast members because when Simon and I were talking about the talking about this before we started recording, there were just a number of different characters in this supporting cast. As much as I did enjoy and really get invested, I was surprised how invested I got in the 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 teenagers. And I've never liked Jessica Lucas more than in this because yes, poor 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 Jessica Jessica Lucas. Lucas. Grace Point is not doing anything for her either. She's by far the best uh, in this that of the three projects I've seen from her. But there are at least three, if not four, different shows I would watch centered around various supporting cast members here. And I think we got to start with the clearest, most obvious, necessary spinoff, which is uh, um, Peter Dinklage, Guidance Counselor. Yes! I'm very glad you watched those episodes. <laughs> because Peter Dinklage... Guys, counselor is the best. I need to see that show. He's so great. Well, and again, this this is something you said to me, Kate, and I'm gonna expand this into a wider point. But it's really great to see him just playing a dude, just a guy who has a job Crazy in the talk. world. And like, there's a few people in this cast uh, who are also gonna be the subject of potential spinoffs. We're gonna talk about who get to be normal people for once, and it's just great, like Dylan Baker, I already mentioned. Even Ione Skye, who is uh, Kelly Osborne's mom, usually she's playing total weirdos, and here she's a regular person. Oh, no, uh, Ione Skye is uh, the food truck lady. Yeah, she's oh, at the end. She? But she's oh. also normal. Yeah, she's normal. Yes, yeah, she's playing... Why? How did I get her... Ma- anyway, it doesn't matter. Whoop, whoop. Um, anyway, lots of people who normally play weirdos getting to play it straight. Uh, Busy Phillips also, you know, usually does wacky in here. She's playing it totally straight, which is also cool. I was very happy when she popped. I was like, oh my god, it's Busy Phillips. Yay. One of the other characters I would absolutely follow is Mr. Miller. Parenting teenage girls is hard. <laughs> um, I would watch that show. That guy is hilarious. Like, the, the actor and the character. I think yes. his line about... Hey, if you play your cards right, we can go out to dinner, my wife. Like, that was probably <laughs> the funniest line of the whole show. Uh, the Bakers. I would watch the Dylan and Becky Ann Baker comedy hour, and yes. it would be delightful. Oh, uh, they're so great. Yeah. There's just, there, there are so many, just like you said, Simon, so fun, supporting roles and, and types of performances that you don't usually get to see. And the last one I'll mention is D.B. Sweeney as Dino's dad, uh... Because it's just, again, in, in some of this thing you mentioned to me, he's such like a dork. He's like the perfect dorky dad, but it totally works. And it makes so much sense with, I mean, his son being a hockey star when he apparently, I guess, do we even see him watching sports? I guess he does hockey yeah. with his son a little bit. But... Yeah. yeah, I don't think he's a sports guy, really, just for his son. But, but, but again, that, that. I really like seeing that character. He, you know, I, I was way more invested in that love triangle than I had any right to be. 
Well, and they do such a great job in the early episodes of, and I'm this is mean to to him, I guess, but he just looks like shit in those early episodes. Yeah, he just like he's not wearing good clothes. He looks like he's been awake for thirty six hours all the time. He just he just he's so believably slovenly as just like a kind of a kind of a mediocre husband and like it's quote unquote understandable why his wife has like gone elsewhere for affection basically yeah and it and it's so unusual when like they have that uh they have that you know tryst in the park or whatever oh, and then so afterwards awkward. so awkward and then afterwards she's like yeah the sex was bad like that's not a scene you get to see very often where where a wife's just like yeah that sucked like that, <laughs> that was and so everything to do with those characters just felt like really it, it made me wish that we i don't think there's ever been a show about parents raising teenagers where the teenagers get three scenes a week and the rest is about like that's the show that i want someone to make someday there's there are some weeks when friday night lights got closed but i don't think it's ever really happened well and again when you're introduced to the that couple uh annie and and michael they seem like they're you know traditional supportive parents of the teenagers who are the main characters but then as you watch the season progress as they they you know break up and are separated and I don't I don't think they actually get divorced in the season but you see them be happier and you don't realize that they aren't really happy if unless you are keying into them but they're they're the clues are there and so there's there's a level of subtlety to that that I really enjoyed when when contrasted with where they are at the end of the season it's very honest i'd say and that's one of the things i really love about the show is just how honest it is i feel like as long as we're talking about you know spotting people and things um we see busy busy phillips we also see sam levine Mm -hmm. uh show up in a in a very funny sort of recurring cameo is it did i hear that right is the production called romeo likes juliet yes (laughs) can we talk all about that terrible play because i love it so much that oh was my great. God. That was a nice touch. The it was it's very heightened. The Sam Levine character, like the what they have going on, but uh, I I gotta say I, I had I enjoyed what we saw of the closing number when he just <laughs> if he hadn't actually run out onto stage if he had just like pushed everybody up in front of and pulled the make out couple backwards I think it would have been perfect for me. But yeah, that did feel appropriately high school production e to me. Yeah, I like. I love how terrible the music is. Mm. I love the awful choreography. It's just, it's all so great, and I love how seriously he takes it. I love that Romeo is in like full garb and Juliet's wearing a halter top. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I hadn't even clued in on that, but you're absolutely right. It's like this is the play they were spending hours on every night. Mm-hmm. Well, and again, to have that—it's just such a fun way to to get some of these characters together, and um, you know, and for them to build up the whole Ben and Sue thing. I was way more invested in Ben and Sue, I must say, than I was in Gino. That made me like sick to my stomach to say. Uh, <laughs> oh god uh well just dino is a weird name to me i just can't think of anything but the flintstones when i hear that so dino you know. yeah, yeah you're right yeah absolutely well uh let's move on then to were there particular episodes that worked for you guys um uh, what, what what are the standouts for you in this season See, I do love uh, the episode where they're going to home homecoming because it's a group thing. So that's always good. Oh, yes, can we, right. 
Can we talk about how accurate some of this stuff is? Because yes. I mean, and, and even just with the music cues, there's certain moments where I'm watching this. I'm like, okay, as a TV episode, I am not engaged by this. However, on a separate level, that music choice is perfect for the the angsty teenage storm out. Um, yeah, and and the the it's a group thing. It's totally a group thing. Felt just perfect. And then later, it's not a group thing, and you know it. <laughs> you knew it wasn't a group thing. Oh God, it's great. That was that was very that was that that's the sort of thing that when the show gets the balance right, it's 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 really nice to see them hit that sweet spot. Other times, you know that. I feel like the high watermark of not taking teenage drama seriously in the context of a serious show will always be Friday Night Lights. But I think that uh, this show does a good job of like taking it seriously enough to keep people engaged, but not so seriously that every twist and turn is like the end of the fucking universe. Exactly. We have the relationship antics of of Sue and Ben and. Uh, Gino, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, counterpointed against some really heavy shit going on with Debs. And so every time they would cut back and forth, it was just <laughs> hilarious. It, it was jarring, but I was completely fine with it because I, I thought it put a nice, you know, this is what theoretically maybe teenagers should be experiencing and th what they think is so important. And then let's contrast that with abandonment issues and <laughs> and all of this really heavy crap. Uh, Unfortunately, being saddled by the one actor who really can't handle it. Yes. And just as a character, Deb is kind of a mess. I, she's such a teenage girl in that, like, she hates Dino for obvious reasons, but she even hates Dino for things he didn't do. Like, he, she was, like, saying that Dino was cheating on Jackie, which never happened, but she would continually say it, and she hated him for that. So calm down, Deb, please. <laughs> it, she she is a difficult character to like, and not only because she's played by Kelly Osbourne. <laughs> See, but I really liked some of the stuff that they gave her, especially earlier on when they have. Um, I, you know, I, I like that this is a show, especially early on, that's very, very much centered around these characters' sex lives. And I love that from the pilot, the show makes sure to say, yes, maybe our three leads are primarily these these boys or these young men but the women in their lives are just as excited to be having sex with them as they are in a different way but i really like that the parody that we get here the big exception to that being zoe which oh god I, zoe is never a person zoe's never a person that's probably the the scene i mean even i'd even place that above casting kelly osborne so you cast kelly osborne because you're hoping she's going to get viewers i understand that even if it really doesn't it's not the best choice creatively, but there's no reason Zoe couldn't have been a character. See, like, uh, again, it feels like a thing of like, well, there was a character named Zoe in the book, so I'll do it there. But the character of Zoe in the book is extremely different from the character of Zoe in the show. And they could never do that version on the show because there, that is a 13 year old girl who lies about her age and hooks up with Dino. And then that's a whole problem. This is a very dark book that they adapted for TV, honestly. And wait, 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 you mean in the book she doesn't just show up and say, hey, let's have sex and cease to exist? <laughs> are we sure that Zoe is actually a real person and not a Tyler Durden situation? That's true. That, <laughs> That's the, true. No one else ever interacts with her. No. Well, they see her, though. So that they do can, they? Yeah, so that they can praise uh, Dino for being the man. They're looking at Dino going off into the distance, but do they see a girl? Or do they just see Dino with his arm out awkwardly? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. 
Maybe he's imagining all the scenes where they praise him about it. Well, maybe that's why he's having such a hard time, you know, connecting with her, maybe. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's, I think we've gone a little off the rails. When we're focusing this much on Zoe, it might be time to wrap up the conversation. Uh, do we have any, any final thoughts on life as we know it? I'm just still blown away by the Zoe Tyler Durden theory. I'm still thinking about that. I'm, I'm going back over those scenes. I'm going to have to rewatch those episodes. I'm going to make an edit. Uh, well, what did we all think about Jackie? Since we don't, we don't particularly like Gino. And we can, I like Jackie. Like Jackie, I yeah, I feel like Jackie, especially with her alcoholic dad. I feel like was more interesting than the Gino of it all. Yeah. I yeah, I agree with that. I didn't like the way that they uh, gave her an Al-Anon quasi love interest that oh, didn't that end up did. being important. Yeah, Matt didn't work. Yeah, that dude who like whispers all of his lines. Yeah, she sees him at, at Al-Anon. Then she sees him at school, and he's doing the uh, the the um. My so-called life lean. Uh, just, just sitting there, just looking, just leaning against his locker for no reason. He's not, like, looking at something in his locker. He's just trying to look pensive uh, and vaguely alluring in the background so that she can see him. Like, it's so contrived. <laughs> well, and he can't and he can't pull it off. Like, later, possibly in the same episode, when he's like, yeah, we, we've been in school together for, like, 14 years. And she's like, really? He's like, no, I was kidding. Ha, ha, ha. Like, he's, yes. he's like a serial killer. <laughs> he does seem like a serial yeah. killer. He really does. <laughs> I was actually thinking it might go that route, and that would be kind of interesting, just to have you know, it's you to have have them be setting up, you know, here's the nice guy alternative to Dino, and then just have it be something completely different. You'd be um, her crazy Oliver, is what you're oh, saying? God, there's there's some there's some fun stocky stuff in this show as well, but um, most of that has to do with the creepy teacher, so. And most of that does does work pretty well, I'd say. But yeah, no, I do. I enjoy. I enjoy Jackie. I enjoy all the all these main characters. I even like Deb, despite the issues with that character. And uh, yeah, I can't. Like you say, Simon, I'm not very invested. I'm more invested than you are in in the various relationships. But um, it's been a while since I saw a teen based show where I actually cared about all of the teens, and there wasn't just you know, like you say, the poochie. Um, so <laughs> so I I think I have to give it praise for that as well. Yeah, I mean, this is really like like I said, it's it's not my kind of show, but it's always nice to see things like this relatively well executed. That being said, a hypothetical second season where Creeper Teacher comes back pregnant, do not want. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I was about to say it would have been nice to get another season from the show because I think it could have gone interesting places and uh, was definitely I think it was good enough to warrant it, um, but not if they were going to bring back pregnant Creeper Teacher. Exactly. That's why I was saying uh, when I was emailing you that 10 is basically like the end of the series in terms of like all the stories they set up and then it just kind of goes on, obviously. And then if it continued on, it's like, oh, no, this is losing what kind of made the show like work, basically, that like earnest kind of just understated level having pregnant Miss Young. It's like, no, you're, you're doing everything wrong. Yep. Yeah, that would have been a show killer for me, honestly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't think I want to come back for a season two. I'm just going to assume most of our listeners have not seen this show. <laughs> if anything we're saying here sounds interesting, I think people should check it out. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised, especially once I got a few episodes in. I, I was very surprised to see how quickly I got uh, invested in these characters and really started to enjoy 
even the more dated elements of the show. And it's all, you can find it all on YouTube. You, other, there is a DVD set. It's an accessible show um, on the scale of things. And so I, th I think it's one worth checking out for people. This has been so much fun. And thank you for picking this show. I would have never caught back up with the show. Um, so, and I'm glad that I did. So thank you so much for, for coming on Latoya and, and picking this. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can always find me uh, at the AV Club in the TV Club section, uh, as well as my podcast, The Televoid, thetelevoid.com. And you can find me on the Twitter at LaFergs. <laughs> well, and again, thank you so much, Latoya. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. Woohoo!